friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. It is Pentecost Sunday. This is the birthday of the church. This is the time in the, the scriptures where the Holy Spirit came upon all people. Men and women and boys and girls. And Peter preached that famous sermon in Acts chapter 2. And many came to faith in Jesus. And many were baptized. But it's a reminder that God's presence and power is located and all different sized bodies, big bodies, little bodies, all people, that God shares his power. And that's something that we'll talk about today, that good leaders share their power. They don't accumulate it. God has a lot of power, and he shares it by living inside of us. Isn't that something? Isn't that beautiful? And that's the point of Pentecost. But we tend to abuse those systems, and we're going to talk about that today, how, we, how systems sometimes abuse power and what we do about it and how we follow Jesus. So this is um, Jesus and toxic systems. And then next week, I'm going to talk about Jesus and toxic people um, a little bit. And I've learned a lot this week in this text, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 37. So I'll read it to you, and then we'll tell you something that it's, it's kind of new to me to look at this text. Because I'm very used to this text, but I'm used to using it a certain way. And I realize, well, I think I've been overlooking some things. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 37. And as he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him, that's Jesus, and saying, my daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. And just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached him from behind and touched the end of his robe, for she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put aside, or put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. The news of this spread throughout the whole area, and as Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him. Then Jesus warned them sternly, be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout that whole area. And just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. And when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. So what I would often do then is use that text to say, these these are the three words that you need to remember from this text. Believe in Jesus. And if, if you want people to believe in Jesus, then send me as a church planner and pray for me. That's how he took the text. 
But I, I love this text, and I'm looking at it, and that's really not the pattern of the good news that's there. Actually, part of the good news that we need to tell people, and it's very surprising. In fact, Jesus says this is the most important thing in this text. Are these three words, not believe in Jesus, but Jesus saying to people that are harmed or that are hurting, Jesus says this, I believe you. I believe you. Jesus had compassion on people that were hurting. And they came to him with their problems. And he said, basically, I believe you. And when he said, I believe you, he healed them. He participated in their life. He healed them. But there were systems around that when Jesus said, I believe you, and I'm going to partner with you, and I'm going to help you, there were systems in place that should have helped them, but they didn't. And those systems were threatened by Jesus. And they tried to make fun of him, rewrite his story. And Jesus, when he saw all these people coming to him, he said, oh, pray, pray that, that God would send out people. That when people tell them, I'm hurting, people say to them, I believe you. That's what this text is all about. Does that make sense? Now you think, okay, I, I hear you say that, Mark, but let's see it, all right? Here's where this, and so I think what I realize is that there's, there's a word here that's very key that we have a hard time translating. Jesus healed four different people. The first one he healed was a little girl who was dying and dead. She actually died. Jesus went to the house and he raised her from the dead. On the way there, another woman who had had a physical malady where she was bleeding for 12 years, knew that Jesus is the great healer, and she touched him from behind, just his, his robe. And Jesus healed her. He believed her. Oh, but when he went to the house of the young girl where this, she had died, he said to the father, who was the leader, and to his friends and family members, she's not dead, but she's asleep. Please go outside. And the mourners, who were probably this man's family members and friends, cousins, the family system that's there to lift up this father, they laughed at Jesus. They made fun of him. But Jesus, who said to the father, I believe in you, said to Jesus, I believe in you. And he withstood that toxic system. And he sent them outside. Then he raised the girl up. Do you all see that now? Jesus said to the Father, I believe you. And the Father said, when it comes to either serving the family or serving you, I believe you. I'm going to come against my family that are making fun of you. Because sometimes when you say I believe in you, you disrupt um, toxic systems and they don't like that. Then there are two blind men, physically disabled men, probably beggars. And Jesus says, I believe you, that you're disabled. I believe that you're marginalized. I will help you. He touches them. He identifies with them. And then there's a man who can't even talk. The Scripture calls him mute. He's possessed by a demon, but he can't talk. And Jesus says to this man's heart, I believe you, even though his mouth doesn't open. Isn't that beautiful? And he goes to him and he heals him. 
And he told these two guys, don't tell anybody that I'm healing because it's not my time yet to go to Calvary. But they tell everybody. Then all these people start coming to Jesus. And he begins to have the word, it says compassion, but it's not compassion. We don't have a word for it. It's, um, it's heaving from your insides, from your innards. It's ugly snot crying. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, like this, uh, it's from your innards, this inside crying. And he's moved with compassion because he says, I believe all of you when you tell me that you're hurting. I believe you. And you have family systems and religious systems that should help you. But I know sometimes they don't. But I believe you. Please pray that God would send out workers that believe people when they say they're hurting. Do you guys see it now? That's what this text is all about. It's about believing people. Okay, let me talk about systems for a second. There are two systems that really shape our lives. There's several, but, you know, our communities shape our lives. Our countries shape our lives. Our jobs shape our lives. But two of the biggest ones are our families. And another big one is the one you're in right now, which is a religious system, a church, or a, a faith group. Now, both of these systems shape people's lives. Families do, and religious systems do. And they shape people's lives for good, and they shape people's lives for bad. They're not meant to do bad. They're meant to do good. We do our best. At least we say we do, and we do. And families and churches and synagogues and mosques or whatever religious system it is, but we, we do our best. But very often these systems do a lot of harm. And when they do harm and people come to the family systems, the parents, or they come to the church and say, harm has been done, Jesus is praying that we'll have people that say to those people, I believe you. But it takes courage to believe people. And to believe people means to have compassion. So I want to tell you all something about compassion. In a lot of family systems and in a lot of church systems, compassion is seen as a kind of weakness, as a kind of spinelessness. Get tough, man. Quit your whining. Oh, you're such a marshmallow. Get tougher. Come on. Be a man. Be a woman. Grow up. Compassion is seen as weakness. But according to Jesus, compassion is not weakness at all. You know what compassion really is? It's a protest against toxic systems and toxic people that says, I believe you and I'm with you. Compassion is a protest, a holy protest that partners with people in their pain. And that's why certain systems make fun of it, because it, it, it's a protest. It's an actual protest. Now, family systems and religious systems have a couple things in common. I'm going to get a little bit sociological here, but I think it'll, it'll make sense. Family systems have people that have positions of trust. And in a family system, who are the people that have a position of trust? Mom and pop, right? They've got a lot of trust. And they have a divine imprint. What do you mean by divine imprint? Uh, God made me your mom. 
You don't like what I'm saying? Take it up with God. God made me your mom. God made me your dad. Divine imprint. So a lot of trust, a position of trust, and the other members of that system, there's great imbalance of power. In a family, mom and dad have all the power, and who has very little power? The little ones. Now, as they get older, they get more power. And in healthy family systems, what do the leaders, those trusted leaders, do with power? They share it. Like Pentecost, God shares his power. You all, you get to be the place where I live, and I live inside you. I share my power. So God is so confident that he shares his power. Jesus often shares his power. In fact, here in Matthew chapter 9, right after he says he prays, he gives the apostles the very same power he has to heal people. He doesn't accumulate power because he's not narcissistic. He shares power. So in healthy families, parents, as their children get older, they share the power with the, with the, with the kids. What does that mean? Kids get more freedom. They can make more decisions. They have to have responsibility. By the way, kids, nice try. What kids do often is they want more freedom and less responsibility. But no, they go together. They fall together. In healthy family systems, kids that want 13-year-old freedom have to have 13-year-old responsibility. But I know what I wanted at 13. I wanted 18-year-old freedom and 8-year-old responsibility. And I lobbied for that all the time. My parents said, nope, 15-year-old freedom, 15-year-old responsibility. If you do 18-year-old freedom... Well, if you want 18-year-old freedom, you have to have 18-year-old responsibility, even if you're 15. And my parents actually lived that out. It was quite a model for me. I was very grateful for that. They shared power. They were healthy. Not perfect. Now, churches are the same way. Churches have positions of trust. Pastors, priests, resident theologians. We have positions of trust. We have a divine imprint. Uh, God made me your pastor. God made me your priest. God made us, God made Nika, your resident theologian. Positions of trust, divine imprint, and there can be a great variance of power in our relationships. In churches that have a great level of power differential in churches, where men and women do not have the same responsibilities in a church, there tends to be spiritual abuse. There's a reason why I think in evangelical circles and in Roman Catholic circles you find a lot of abuse because there's a lot of power differential in those churches. Men have all the power in the Catholic Church. Children and women don't have any power. In evangelical churches, men have most of the power. Women and children don't. St. Jude's a little different because our power differential is not that way, and it's that way on purpose. We want women and men to have power. We want children to have power as much as possible. So we're trying to limit that, that power differential. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the key, though. What happens when people that have the positions of trust, what if they do something wrong? Is it a sign of weakness or strength for that wrongness to be revealed and dealt with. In healthy families, in healthy churches, when something goes wrong, it's a sign of maturity and strength when the leaders say, oops, I messed up. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And I'll work on the consequences 
of my action. So doing something wrong is not a threat to the image of the institution. But in unhealthy families and in unhealthy religious systems, if you point out something wrong, instead of seeing it as an opportunity to repent and to get better and to practice forgiveness, what happens is that it's a threat to the image of that family or that church. And when it's a threat, someone says, hey, there's wrongdoing. The leaders basically say, I don't believe you. Let me tell you what really happened here. You're disobedient. You're not in line. It's you that's causing the problem. And then that's when, the, that's when people feel like, what happened? Did I, did I, why? I was pointing out something wrong. Now all of a sudden I'm the wrongdoer. Does anybody believe me? And then you feel isolated. And then there are ways to get you in line. And instead of being a place of love, it's a place of fear. And here's your role. Either protect the image of this family or protect the image of this church, or you're out. Does that make sense? And you think, now how can I get this from Matthew chapter 9? Well, look, look what happened to Jesus. Think about this. The first example is that Jesus... Here's a man who's a leader and says, my, my daughter's dying. I believe you. And why did he tell Jesus that? You can change this. He knew that Jesus could change this. He went to them, and the family system was in place. And they have a role. Their role is to mourn for the daughter. Their role is to help this man. They have a good name. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and points out that they might be doing something that's unnecessary. Woo! Uh, that's a potential threat to the image of this family institution. So what do we do? We laugh at him. And that man, the father, had a choice to make. Do I confront my family with this beautiful, holy protest of Jesus? Or do I say, ha ha, believe Jesus, you're right. What are you doing here, man? She's dead. But he cooperates with the protest, the compassionate protest. And what happens? This, this girl gets her life back. But that guy had a choice. Does he submit to this dysfunctional family system? And it is dysfunctional because of all the stuff Jesus is doing. This compassion is really fantastic. It's a protest against potentially toxic systems. And then the same thing with the woman with an issue of blood. She touches Jesus. Jesus heals her. So what does that mean for us? What do we do when it comes to toxic systems? I think it's very important that when people get harmed in a church, this is, this is the first takeaway. You are doing the gospel a lot of good if you tell them, I believe you. Let me hear about it. I believe you. And if the leaders of the church listen, Nike and I or our, our, our elders or deacons or vestry, whatever we have, if we listen to folks and believe that's a sign of health, but in some places, if the, if the image of the institution is threatened by an event of wrongdoing and people are made fun of, it's a way of maintaining control. I heard something this last week that was very disturbing to me. I heard a, um, 
a, a couple, they have a podcast, they're Christian people that were, that were not treated well by the church, and they're still working through, as leaders, what to do about church. And yeah, they're Anglo, and they're middle class, and they're well-educated, and they talk like they go to Starbucks all the time, okay? So you can kind of stereotype them. But they were hurt. They were hurt by the church. And they played a sermon of a pastor who was making fun of people who are hurt of Christians. And it was funny in a sense. But also, a couple things you need to know about this church. This church has had a very public situation where a young child was harmed by a staff member. And that family wasn't treated very well. And it, it became international news. And they did right, kind of, but a lot of image control. And then the pastor had to leave for a period of time, and he was restored. Why would he make fun of these people? Why? Because in toxic systems, instead of seeing wrongdoing as an opportunity to trust in Jesus, he saw it as a threat to the image of the institution. Because with these two things that happened, I bet people were leaving this particular institution. And he wanted to make it very hard on people to leave. And you don't do that by saying, don't leave. You do that by doing things like poking fun. Oh, it's just good ribbing. That's a way of saying to those people that are hurt, I don't believe you. Does that make sense? And part of the gospel that Jesus says, pray that God would send out workers in this field, is not just people that say, believe in Jesus. Those are three words that are important to the gospel. But people that say, I believe you. And my compassion, which is I come alongside, I'll do what I can to relieve your suffering by, by the grace of Jesus and the gifts God has given me. That is the preaching of the gospel, is simply coming to people and saying, I believe you. And I think what, what Jesus wants us to know is that he wants us to pray that God would send out people with the holy protest of compassion. Because when you believe people, you're confronting principalities and powers. And when you confront principalities and powers, sometimes they don't respond very well. I'll give you an example here in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 9. The last situation is that there's a man that was possessed of a, of a devil. That's kind of a religious problem, isn't it? I would call that a religious and a physical and spiritual problem. Jesus healed his physical problem. He couldn't speak. He could speak now. He healed his spiritual problem. The demon was gone. And you would think that the leaders, the religious leaders, would say, well done, Rabbi Jesus. Way to share your power that God has given you. Way to share power and lead well. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders at that time, were so threatened by the goodness of Jesus this is what they said to people that saw this. Uh, he casts out demons because he's in league with Satan. What? So what happens when religious leaders see power that's shared and they see this as a threat? They begin to rewrite your own story. 
They began to rewrite Jesus' story. Oh, God the Son is in league with the devil? Oh, that's rich. That's a toxic system. And what did Jesus do? He continued to protest with his compassion for people and gave them no satisfaction. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I am praying that God sends out laborers into the harvest, and I'm going to keep coming, Pharisees. And you can call me the devil. I don't care. But I'm not going to get out of this system. I'm going to speak truth to power with my compassion. A couple things to think about. In healthy families and healthy churches, you know that you matter. And in healthy families and in healthy churches, you know that you matter because you're God-made and God-loved. And that can never be taken from you. Did you all know that in our Declaration of Independence that Thomas Jefferson first wrote, I believe these truths to be, and we have the words self-evident? But that's not what he wrote at first. You know what he wrote? He said, I believe these words to be sacred, that all men are created equal. Then he gave it to his buddy, Ben Franklin, and Ben said, well, you know, we're, we're a pluralist institution, and we are. He says, I better, it's better to say I believe these words to be self-evident. What's interesting is that Indian scholars, recent Indian scholars, look at that and they say, it's not self-evident that all men are created equal. Open up their insides. There's nothing inside their bodies or minds that say they're created equal. The reason that it's there is that it's the Christian influence upon Thomas Jefferson. Because God, and even though Thomas Jefferson was more of a deist rather than a Christian, but it's because God makes us that way. It's a sacred truth that all men are created equal. Why? Because that mattering is from God. And in healthy families, you know that you matter because God made you and you as a person are sacred, more sacred than the institution. And we tell you that. And in healthy churches, you matter because you're God-made and God-loved and God-redeemed. You matter. But in unhealthy families, you matter if you get in line. You matter if you get in line. You matter if you know your place. And if you bring a threatening word about the image of the family or the church, and they say you no longer matter, that's an abusive system. And Jesus says we do not tolerate those abusive systems. Does that make sense? We come up against them with compassion. And we don't listen to them. So here's my, my first thing that I want you to please know. You matter. And even if you don't know you matter, you matter. And it's never taken from you because you are God-made and God-loved. And there's nothing I can do or your parents can do or Nike can do that can take that away. And if we ever say we control your mattering, do not trust us. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You matter because you're God-made and God-loved. You always will be. You don't matter because you get in line. Some churches and some families are threatened by compassion. And I think the key for, this, for us this morning is let's, let's pray with Jesus that we would be compassionate. And let's see compassion as a strength, as a holy protest to come alongside people. I bless so many of you that work in areas of making lives better, physically, counseling, teaching, all these things that you all do. 
That is the gospel work. You're telling people that you believe them. They need to know that. When we did our surveys about um, our 360 and St. Jude, one thing that we found out from many of you is that you've been harmed by the institution of the church. Many of you have been to some degree or another, and we're really sorry. We want you to know that you matter, and we don't want to harm you here. And we believe, Jesus, that your mattering is because of what he's done in you. He's made you, and he redeems you, and that always is the case. And we want to share power, not accumulate it. And we see it as a sign of maturity. If you guys show us, we've done something wrong, let us know. Some of you have commented, you've been surprised, like when Nike and I, um, we agree on the big issues, but sometimes we disagree on secondary issues. Like, Nike is a better Greek scholar than I am, and, but I do, like, I do like the received text. I do like... I like the King James text, text a lot. It's more wordy, it's, and Nike's more into the Alexandrian school, and truth be told, Alexandrian school is probably more faithful. There you heard me say it, okay, Nike? But I like the received text because you get stories like John 8, where Jesus, you know, draws in his hand and catches the woman in adultery, and I like that story. Don't you guys like that story? I kind of think it happened. Maybe it didn't, but even if it didn't, it's still a great story, and Jesus would have done something like that. And you people here, like, we may disagree. You think, oh, is that okay? Yeah, that's a sign of strength. You know why? Because we love each other. And the most important thing that we think is Jesus is Lord and that he saves us. This is a secondary matter. And we're not so insecure that we can actually disagree in certain areas and be together. That's a healthy system. That's a really healthy system. We like that about St. Jude. And we'll continue to try to influence each other the other way around. And it doesn't work, but it kind of does, right, Nika? I mean, I like, o, I like OU now. I follow OU softball because of you. But I just like them because I like them now. Not because Nika likes them. But she did like her truck because I found the truck first. And so that's how we affect each other. Oh, uh, no, did you? Uh, yeah. I, you found it first? Oh, shoot. Okay, she found it first. Anyway, but th that's how healthy family systems. We can disagree on certain things, but they're secondary things. What I hope that you hear this morning um, is that compassion is a holy protest, and it's, it's, a, it's a big risk. It's not weak. It's called weak because it points out faults in dysfunctional systems. So pray that God would give you the strength that when people say they've been harmed by their family or harmed by their church, come alongside them and say these gospel words to them. I believe you. That's so powerful. I believe you. And beware of systems that make fun of that kind of compassion. Beware of that. That is unholy. It's a way of shutting it down. Beware of systems that laugh at it or outright lie about it. Because that's not of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is not just believe in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that we can tell people that are hurting, I believe you. So by the grace of God, let's tell people both, believe in Jesus, and I believe you. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for this good news of Jesus. Thank you for 
praying for people like us, that we would not only tell people to believe in you, but that we would tell people, I believe you, when they tell us that they've been harmed by systems designed to make them flourish, and those systems have stunted that flourishing. Give us the grace, Lord, to follow you and to speak truth to power with the compassion of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.